Good morning. Good morning. Those are some good old hymns there. As we were singing that last one, I tried to say the words a couple times so I'd actually understand them. Still be my vision. And as we were singing that, I'm thinking, well, that's, that's pretty much what the message is about today. So that's a great song to be singing. So hold on to that, that one-liner there, that God still be my vision. My name is Chris Richards. I'm one of the pastors here. And as most of you know, most of you at least, we are marching through Genesis. And we are in Genesis chapter 9. And we're going to finish up chapter 8 and we're going to move through chapter 9 today. So I'll give you a chance to find that. And as I was getting through this, it it's a good exercise to sit down and say, Okay, I, I understand the passage. God, what are you trying to tell us here? What is it about you that we're going to put in a package and we're going to take out with us so that we can open that package throughout the week and look into it and say, I know my God better today than I knew him when I walked in. What is that thing? And as I kept going through this, um, feel free to laugh at this, but I think in these funny pictures, and I kept thinking of a corn maze. That was where you were supposed to laugh, and that's okay. I couldn't get a corn maze out of my mind because I kept thinking, you know, we say it in our mind, especially on Sunday morning, that we know that God has the plan for our life, and we only want to know, God, what is it you want to do with me? I want to know what God's plan is. And if we actually knew... What would we do with it? And so I was thinking of this corn maze, and I thought, you know, if this kid gets locked. This happens all the time, I'm sure of it, because these corn mazes are scary. And I went online even to find this picture. And that, that corn maze is eight acres. You could die in eight acres. They could have little, well, okay, forget all that, but they're huge. You could really get lost in here. So just picture this for a minute. This little kid's running around the corn maze. <laughs> I can't find my way out. And so dad runs up on the tower and he sees where his kid is and he starts and he has his boy with him. He says, okay, make him turn right and then go to the third left and turn left. And he gets all these instructions written down. He says, okay, now you go in there and find that and give that to him. So the boy runs into the corn maze, finds his brother and hands it to him and says, here's what dad tells you to do. And the kid looks at it and he says, but I didn't come this way. And the boy is saying, but, but this is what, dad's up on the tower. He can see the whole thing. Go. Kid's like, ah, I don't know. That's a little different. I came from here and he's telling me, I know that doesn't look the same. What does he do? And so it's easy for us when we think about God has this plan and God is sovereign and God is all-knowing and God is all these things. God knows and God's given us his word and it's written and we can read it and we know what God wants for us. We know what his plan is. We knew the plan. We, we're sitting in this great day and age where God has given us his entire written revelation. I can go to the beginning of history and I can go all the way to the end of history. And I can watch God's plan unfold all the way through that. There's nobody else in history that's been in this place. You go back a couple thousand years, they didn't have that. A couple thousand years before that, they had even less. And so they, God sent them the prophets. God sent them the brothers and said, here's where God wants you to go. Go. 
But we sit here and we go, that's not the way I came. That looks a little different. That's a little strange. But in my story, because I made it up, the boy does follow. And he goes. And what he finds out as he gets closer and closer to the end is God's not taking him back where he came from. God's taking him to the end. God's taking whatever treasure sitting at the end of a corn maze pile of corn. I don't know. God's taken him to the end. He's taken him to the fulfillment. He's taken him to the treasure. He doesn't want him to go back where he came from. He wants him to get the completion. And that's why it kind of looks different. So what does that have to do with Genesis 9? When we start through this, there's a couple of things that you just have to keep in mind. Keep looking for these things as we step through these passages. And the first one is that God is restoring hope. The entire world is gone. It's been recreated. There's this one family. And though it doesn't tell us that Noah came off the boat with wobbly knees, I just can't imagine it any other way. He comes off the boat with this family, and there's nothing. There's nothing. God is restoring hope, and he's doing it over and over again. The second thing to keep in mind is God is continuing his plan. Oh yeah, this was planned all along. We start in Genesis 3.15 where he says, you know what? The seed of woman is going to crush the heart of the serpent. We got a plan that already started numerous chapters ago and this is but a hiccup. This isn't, nowhere did God's plan stop. Nowhere did God go, oh no. Like we were talking about the other day about the, Mes- the, the Mesopotamian myths where the gods were kind of cowering on the shore going, we've lost it all. We lost, no. God did not in any way check out of being sovereign. This is his plan and it's just continuing on. And so these people, Moses, it was Moses, I did it. Oh, I mean, Moses wrote that Noah, there, okay, that's better. That's why you make that mistake, because Moses wrote it about Noah, and there's not even the same number of letters. Okay, I don't know why you make that mistake. It's your fault. Wait till I say noses. God's plan is just continuing, and Noah needs to be reminded of that. And lastly, and this is my favorite piece, this is unmistakable in this passage. God's plan involves you. God's plan involves mankind, the human race. And if we ever lose, this is why that song hit me, Be Still My Vision. If we lose sight of what God's plan is, you get all bogged down in the monotony and ambiguity of life. And we're going to see that here in a minute. But we have to watch God's plan unfold here because if we forget what God's plan is, then we're going to miss the whole picture. So those of you who are, are paying really close attention now should be asking yourself, okay, so uh, what, what's God's plan? That's what you should be asking right now. Let's start with Genesis chapter 8. Verse 20. Hope you're there. Let's ask God to bless his word. God, you have not left us abandoned. You have not left us without vision. You are still our vision. You've not left us hopeless. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would bless it this morning. God, I pray that your word would just infiltrate us. 
And it wouldn't stop in our mind, God, but would move down and transform us. God, I pray that you would protect your word this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 8, starting at verse 20. There should be some Bibles in your pew or in your seats there, or it should be up above. These guys did a great job getting the screens back up. They did terrific. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now we're going to do it a little differently this morning. I'm going to kind of go through the different sections after we read them. In Scripture, we can notice, and I have it titled here, Ambiguity is Not Hidden. Think through these passages. Here's what you have. God just wiped out the planet because of the wickedness of man. He killed every living thing. And so now, he has Noah stepping off the boat. And we talked about last week, Noah is very, he understands his sin. Noah didn't walk off the boat with some highfalutin idea of himself going, I must be perfect he know he just was saved by grace through faith and he's now off the boat on earth. Okay? There's no question in his mind that his God had mercy on him. But here we have God saying, I will never again, after smelling the aroma of this sacrifice, he says, I will never again strike down all living things, comma, Though they're all wicked from youth. There's no misunderstanding what this verse means. And if anybody wants, we can, we live in 2009, so we're all educated now and we're all good people. God simply has it wrong here. We are not evil from youth, because from youth means you come out of the womb backwards. You come out of the womb on the wrong side of the tracks. Those on this side of the tracks, with God. Those on that side of the tracks, without God. And you're born on that, whatever that means, that side of the tracks. It isn't like you come out of the womb and then you make a mistake and God punishes. No, no, no. You're born on the wrong side. And that's what it says right here. He makes it clear right in the very beginning of mankind. They come off the boat and he says, I'm not going to do it again. Even though the heart of man is wicked all the time. Every intention of your heart does not seek after me. But yet I'm not going to destroy the earth again. Do you see the ambiguity? Do you see that the conflict, the kind of tension that's created in those two pieces? Just just a hundred something, three hundred something days ago, he just destroyed the earth for the same reason. He said, I'm not going to do that again. Why? Why? Again, watch for the plan. He vows never again to do that. We have a theme all the way through scripture about the heart of man. We see in Romans, for all of us have sinned. This didn't get better as man, I was going to use the word evolve, I'm not even going to go there. As man gets a little smarter through history, it didn't get no better. We still don't follow God. We have this, all of us like sheep 
have wandered. We've all gone astray. Each of us all to our own way. We've all rejected the Lord. And then it says, but God put the iniquity of us all on Christ. Again, watch this plan start to unfold. And it involves us. God vows in his heart to never again strike down all of mankind. Now let's go to Genesis 9, starting in verse 1. Let me, let me just quote one other verse here. There's a piece of understanding needed when we go through a passage that says, God's not going to destroy us, even though the intention of his heart is wicked. In Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that understand this passage, that you bring nothing to the table. Without mercy, without grace, you have no place with God. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Those that put their faith in Christ will not perish but have everlasting life. It's not that we bring something. We need to understand that mankind is defiled. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Can we just stall there for a minute? No, keep going. And as I have given, excuse me, and as I gave you all the green plants, I give you everything. But... You shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from every man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth and multiply in it. This passage, now we said one of the things we have to keep a watch on is, is God restoring hope through this passage. In 817, we saw, get off the boat. The first thing God told them after he said, get off the boat, be fruitful And multiply. And then here, in his heart, he says he vows to never destroy men again. The next thing he tells Noah is, Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply. And then he goes on and says some things about animals. And then again says, be fruitful and multiply. Do you think he's trying to make a point? you think he's trying to make a point here? Look at the different steps in between. He gets off the boat, be fruitful and multiply. He makes a sac- Noah makes a sacrifice, and God says, be fruitful and multiply again. But what's going on? Why does he have to tell him this three times? And so I'm, I'm going to submit something to you. When Noah gets off the ark, what do we have? We don't quite have a tohu and a bohu anymore from Genesis chapter 1. The earth was formless and void in the spirit of water. We kind of went through that last week. Now we actually have earth 
but we're still in this recreation event. That's what God told him at the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. You have an empty earth. Fill it. Fill it. Because my plan has to do with people. Fill the earth. But when Noah gets off the boat... Okay, if I were Noah and I got off the boat, let me submit it that way, I'd be wondering, hmm, why bother? There's only a couple of us. I'm going to get eight because the T-Rex got off and he did not look happy. The tiger got off. He didn't look happy at the sheep, but then he looked at me next. I'm a little concerned about the... I don't have anywhere to sleep. I'm not Swiss Family Robinson. I can't get up in the trees. What trees? They're all dead. The earth hasn't been... I'm in trouble. Okay, forget the animals. Forget the animals for a minute. Before I got off the boat, I yelled at Miss Noah. And I was angry, dang it. And so I am very aware that I am a sinful man and God just destroyed the world for sin last time. Why procreate? Why, why refill the earth with people when God's just going to wipe them out? If every time we get to this place in history again where we're all just bad, God's just going to... Done with them. Why do that? So over and over and over, Noah is God is restoring hope for Noah here. He's going to tell him, I'm not going to wipe you out. Animals, I'm going to put the fear of them in you. I'm going to put the fear of you in them. And I'm not going to wipe you out. And I'm going to make a covenant with you so you understand. I'm going to make a promise with you so you know that no matter what, I'm going to continue my plan forward. Be fruitful and multiply, even though you're evil. It is an interesting point here that when when you realize that mankind is God's plan A, we aren't some cosmic pawn or some pawn in a cosmic chess game. That's not us. It's not good versus evil and we just get kind of moved around. God has a very specific plan for us. Very specific plan for us. So he tells Noah, be fruitful and multiply. And let's look at the animals. On the ark, who knows how he did it, but God brought all these animals on the ark. They were all peaceful. They stayed there. They didn't eat each other. I don't know how God did it. I don't know that the animals weren't peaceful before. Maybe. Who knows? I got no idea. All I know is, while they were on the boat, they did not eat each other. Okay? And when they got off the boat, though, God told Noah, I'm going to put the dread of you in them. And so off they go. Okay? They will fear mankind. But just like in the Genesis 1 account, 2 account, in the creation, man was made sovereign over the animals by naming them. And here, God does the same thing again. Now you get to eat them. You, know, you just don't see Noah sitting on the ark going, hmm, I kind of wonder what brontosaurus tastes like. You just, this is a new thing to him. They've never eaten animals taste like chicken. So I could have told him that. He just didn't ask me. And so all of creation now, God not only makes him sovereign over it, but now 
gives them everything that moves to eat. And a question I couldn't get an answer for is this. When you get off the boat, I don't think, those of you who are doctors can tell me this later, I don't think man digests grass very well. I don't know that, but my guess is you don't get a lot out of it. But when they get off the boat, what is there to eat? And so a question I kept asking I couldn't get an answer for is, did God provide animals for food? Because that's pretty much all there was to eat. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not sure. Was it just a provision? Because we see from here on God making provisions for man living in a broken world. And so at the very beginning we said ambiguity is not hidden. All the way through the rest of human history you see God making provisions. Because it ain't perfect. It's not perfect anymore. But God goes on and says this. Yes, you can eat the meat, but the blood is mine. You can eat from all the trees in the garden. Every one of the trees in the garden are yours. But this one right here, don't eat from it. One prohibition in the garden. Now we have this recreation event. You can eat everything, but the blood is mine. Don't eat the animals with the blood still in it. What a weird thing to write. First, they've never eaten animals anyway. And now this odd prohibition, what is God doing? Watch the plan. Watch it unfold. Because we know, remember, I can read the Bible from front to cover to cover. I know where this blood is coming in. He's setting up for people what atonement is going to be. Without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God is starting to work this into mankind already. They do the sacrifices. The blood is special. That's where the life is. And that's mine. And mankind, he says, no one. The animals won't kill you and man won't kill you. Because man is created in the image of God. Again, we're back to the creation account. He reemphasizes, even after the fall, catch this, after the fall, after the flood, all the way down here, after saying, even though every intention of man is evil, he says, man is created in my image. And I will demand a reckoning from anything that spills man's blood, whether it's beast or whether it's animal, and there is a difference. And so we see here that man is not to be killed, not by animal or not by another man. And if a man is to kill you, now we have an interesting provision made. If, if a man kills another man, that other man is, is dead. He's no longer here. Who then is to accomplish this reckoning of the one who murdered. So we already see God establishing laws of the state and provisions that are going to be made later on when, remember, this is Moses, and he's setting up the history of mankind for the Hebrews, and the law is coming. The law is coming from Noah, for Moses. I even said it backwards that time. 
That's your fault. That's your fault. Man is created in the image of God even after the flood. And it's key to remember that. Even in broken, even though our image is tarnished, we are still God's plan A, and we are still created in the image of God, even if that image is tarnished. But as we come to Christ, and we always say this in church, that I want to become more like Christ, we're restoring that image of Christ in us. That's what God's doing through sanctification, something we talked about last week. All right, let's go to chapter 9, verse 12, and finish this section up. Wait, sorry, I can start in verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. That's us. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds... I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Um, After repeating himself 46 times, do you think God made himself clear here? What is he telling Noah? He's telling Noah, I am never again. He made the vow in 821. And he's telling Noah, I will never again do this. Be fruitful and multiply. I will never again do this. And I will hang my bow in the sky. All right, so I'm going to play angelic advocate for a minute. Because this is one of those... Um, actually, let me let me go through the covenant piece first. The word covenant is used like seven times here. Some seven times, covenant just goes over and over and over and over and over again. This is the first covenant, really, in the Bible. First covenant in the Bible is the Noah covenant. It has nothing to do with man. We call this covenant unconditional. It has nothing to do with what you do. You can be good. You can be bad. In fact, just before God established covenant, He said. Even though the heart of man is wicked all the time. Every intention of his heart is evil. And God still made the covenant and said, I'm not going to wipe them out. This covenant has nothing to do with you and what you do. God promised to keep the earth going. 
As long as heat, summer, harvest, all these things, this covenant only depends on God. There are five major covenants in the Bible, and I'm not going to go through each one of them, but just know where they are, and you can take your notes up there. The next one that comes in line is the covenant God made with Abraham that said, you know what, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And now the Hebrew nation is formed, and we can look here at this tree and start following it, right? Because what are we doing? Moses is telling his people, the Israelites, where you came from. Remember that? And where the seed is going to come from. And so we can follow that up. Here we have to to Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. There's no seed yet, but you're going to be a great nation. Next. But he does tell him every nation on earth will be blessed because of you. That is the Messiah. Next, the Mosaic covenant. He makes a covenant with Moses, but this one is conditional. Moses... God makes a covenant with the Israelites and they said, will you do this? And the Israelites say, yes, we'll do it. And then we walk into judges when they don't do it and we keep getting punished and brought back and, and so on and so on. Okay, so another covenant. You can see that one in, in Exodus 24 where they commit, yes, we'll do it. And then the Davidic covenant there in Second Samuel where he says, your throne will never end. And so now we're starting to see a glimpse of the Messiah and everlasting kingdom. That's the Davidic covenant. But then we see in Jeremiah the one that we're in now. We see the new covenant. And in Matthew 26 when Jesus says, this is my blood. This is the blood that I'm sealing the new covenant with. And as we read through the New Testament, we see the new covenant coming into fruition. And we now are in this stage. We are under this new covenant. If you wanted, there's a website there that you can go to. And they have a huge table of all the covenants and what each piece is and what parts play where. And fantastic resource. Okay, so now I get to go play angelic advocate for a minute. Does anyone read this story of this covenant and and the rainbow and go, uh-huh. It kind of sounds like a myth. It kind of sounds like I turned on the television and I'm watching some, uh, I don't remember what that movie was called, some cartoon where, anyway, it sounds like a myth. Because I look at this rainbow and I need to explain it somehow, so I make up some kind of a story and blah, blah, flood. And I know how a rainbow works. I went to college. Okay, I went to junior high. You learn what a rainbow is, how that works in junior high, right? The light goes in, it bends all funny, and the raindrops are at different layers, and so the angles get bounced funny, and poof, out comes a rainbow. I don't need God for that. See, that was a straw man, so now he's all set up. You ever think like that? The problem with thinking that is, is when God, God said... I'm taking this over. I don't care if you can explain it. It's now a sign to you. And every time that you see this, you should remember that I haven't wiped you out and you are evil. In Romans 1 where it says, In all creation, everywhere, my glory is shown so that none of you have an excuse. Nobody has an excuse to not come to God, but... They didn't glorify him. They didn't thank him. They didn't treat him as God. And God gave him over to a depraved mind. When anybody looks at a rainbow, the first thing that should come to their mind is, wow, God hasn't destroyed me. Okay, that's not what happens, though, is it? The first thing that comes to your mind is, we know how it works. We can explain it. 
But when I think that way, the first thing that has to come to my mind is, we have the testimony of Christ. The reason this isn't a myth is because we have Jesus. Jesus came, he quoted all the way through Genesis, and not one time did he say, oh, and Moses kind of messed that rainbow thing up, that's really not true. He never said that. And so we have the testimony of Christ that says, this rainbow, every time you see it, it should remind you of a covenant that between God and all creatures that his plan is going to move forward. You see that? You see that every time we see one. And I, I just wonder, and this is just a quick thing, because there's, there's light on the earth somewhere all the time, I wonder what the probability is that there's always a rainbow somewhere. Because it says, God sees the rainbow and remembers his covenant with you. I don't know if there is or not, but I just thought that was kind of cool. Maybe there is. God sees it, and he's reminded that his plan is going to move forward. And we learned last week, the word, when when we say God remembered, it means God is doing something. What is God doing? He's accomplishing his plan. He's bringing people to himself. He's creating a remnant. He's saving people. So that one day, and we see this in Revelation 16, these people are going to be gathered together all the way through Revelation. The end of the age, we see God is going to complete this covenant. He's going to complete this promise and bring these people to be with him forever. What is God doing? God is saving people. God is building his kingdom. When he says he remembers this, he's not destroying them. He's going about his plan. So we wrap it up with that. In 2009, what does this look like? God keeps promises. And we we boil these things down. And and in every piece of our day-to-day, that's why I'm going to go back to that song that, that God is our vision. We all can get stuck in this this odd monotony of life by not remembering that God is accomplishing his purpose. He's accomplishing his plan. And also remembering that if you are in Christ, you are a vital part of that plan. You're a vital part of that plan. And when you forget that, and you get up in the morning and you've got to make breakfast for all those kids... You got to go to work. Yada, yada, yada. And that joy just saps from you. While we were praying this morning, almost everybody that was praying was praying, God, fill us with that joy that comes from knowing your hope, from knowing you. Because to know God is, is full of hope and joy and understanding that his purpose and what it's, what's going on. God is going to accomplish his purpose and we humans, we are part of that purpose. We see in, in Peter, let's see, 1 Peter 2.9, where it says, you know what, the reason you were chosen? You were chosen to declare the excellencies of him who called you from darkness into light. You are a vital part of this plan. Let's pray. God, I am, uh, I love having hope. God, I don't, I don't ever want to know what it's like to not 
live with the understanding that that your plan is going to come about and that I'm part of that. I thank you so much for salvation and what you've done. And God, I want to pray for those out there today that don't know you. Lord God, I just pray that you would you would speak to them. God, that they too would become a vital part of your plan, to be part of your kingdom, to be part of that group of people, God, that you're, you're bringing together for yourself. The church, the people that are going to be with you in heaven forever. God, for those that don't know you here, God, would you just impress that upon their mind that you are God and your plans will be accomplished. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.